Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. I hope this finds each of you so very well. I'm speaking to you from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey. Grateful to have this opportunity to interview a remarkable woman named Cherokee Isles, who lost three babies of her own through a miscarriage, a full-term stillborn son, and an, and an ectopic pregnancy. She has two living sons, and she will be speaking to us today from Sun City, Arizona. Cherokee is one of the early pioneers in perinatal loss and bereavement. Not only is she the author of 18 books and booklets about loss and healing, including her first and most popular self-help book for parents and families titled Empty Arms, Coping with Miscarriage, Stillbirth, and Infant Death. Cherokee also speaks, trains, and consults across the globe. Her profile includes keynoting conferences, facilitating workshops and all-day seminars, speaking at support groups, mentoring, one-on-one -on -one support and training peer counselors, religious leaders, funeral directors, and others on grief and loss. Miscarriage, stillbirth, neonatal intensive care unit losses, and sudden infant death, along with child loss and general bereavement have been Cherokee's areas of expertise for the past 30 plus years. She also trains professionals and supports parents experiencing fragile pregnancies and abnormal diagnosis, offering palliative care and networking assistance. There is so much to learn from Cherokee about this incredibly important topic of infant loss. I'm especially eager to interview her about how she works as a mentor to grieving families helping them move from the breadth and depth of anguish and despair when one's child dies or is never born to growth and healing. What a powerful and touching interview this is surely going to be. Hey, Cherokee, a warm, hey. heartfelt welcome to Grief and Rebirth podcast. Thank you. I'm pleased, pleased to be here. Thank you. My, I'm so great to have you here. I'm why don't we just begin with this question? Please tell us about what you call the dark ages when it comes to prenatal loss and bereavement. Okay, well, it happens that when my son was stillborn, I was on what I call the cusp of that dark ages. What used to happen in America and some other countries for sure, but not all countries, was that uh, when a woman had a baby who died, that baby was whisked away Mom often never saw that baby. It was as if that child never lived, never, they were not pregnant with them. But worse than that, the, the families and the fathers were encouraged to go home and take the room down. So mother had a baby, was excited, might've been the first, might've been the 10th, who knows? And, and they, the baby dies, they don't see the baby, they don't kiss them goodbye, hello, let alone goodbye. They don't, didn't often go to the funerals. The funerals occurred without mother. I've met some of these women. Oh my gosh, the ache in their heart and you know all the things that they missed, it can't be undone. And then they go home to an empty room as if they never were pregnant. I call those the dark ages. Prior to the dark ages though, um, and in a lot of countries, it was just normal. You know, death is normal. It's a normal part of life. And when a baby died, they might sleep with mother, you know, they might show the baby to the children in the parlor or in the bedroom or whatever. My grandmother was six when her baby sister was stillborn, Hulda May. And she said, I don't know, my mother probably slept with her. We, she was there for a few days. 
we interacted, we held her, and then we eventually helped uh, by digging the grave. So that's pre-Dark Ages. Then along comes the good news about funeral homes and the bad news about funeral homes and hospital births is that when it went bad, um, they, it was hands off. And so it wasn't normalized, it didn't happen in the home. And, and so what I just shared with you about these women and families uh, who really didn't get to in, be involved with their baby at all. And then I come along and people like me. Um, and luckily, uh, when we were told that our baby had died and uh, when we get, you know, were ready to give birth to him, someone in the hallway uh, was a, uh, I think she was a midwife from England and she must have told our nurse that we could see the baby and take pictures. And we're like, ah, you know, why would we do that? It was such an odd thing, but she planted a seed. So at least when the, the midwife showed Brennan to us full term, we saw him for five minutes and that was all that happened. We got no mementos, no, no, you know, closure, no, no nothing, nothing. And, um, you know, but thankfully, at least she planted that seed. So I didn't go crazy when this midwife handed me the baby, but we did it pretty much all wrong. So yeah, the dark ages, what to me was um, too dark, too painful, too hard, not normalized. That's not what happens when a baby dies, a, a parent should meet them. And you know, how do you say goodbye to someone you've never met before? So I committed my life to help change that. What a beautiful thing though. I mean, what a terrible thing, but what a beautiful thing that you're doing this. You were a former, former teacher, a school founder, and a communication consultant who felt the need to do something to help others after three of your babies died. Please tell us about your 10-year journey from starting a national organization to October being designated Pregnancy and Infant Loss Month in the United States which is now celebrated throughout the world. What an accomplishment, Cherokee. Yes, it was a whole team that made that happen. But uh, after uh, Brennan died, I'd had a miscarriage previously, didn't name that baby. And then Brennan died. And um, within the month I was writing a booklet, um, which turned into the small book, Empty Arms. And uh, that, like you say, is pretty, uh, it's over probably over 400,000 copies now around the world. Wow. In speaking and Spanish speaking. Um, and in fact, someone from the Ukraine just uh, emailed and they want to translate it and use it in the Ukraine. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, I wrote Empty Arms uh, and it was like my next baby. So about nine months later, we had an unveiling and a party and a celebration of this book, which then I realized was not enough. My goal with the book, I wrote it as a self-help guide so that parents who were in the situation could read at least the first section and make some intentional decisions so they didn't have all the regrets that people like myself and a lot of others had. And we could move them out of that dark ages so they could meet baby, welcome, involve family before they are rushed to say goodbye. And I realized that just having a book and wanting it in every hospital in the world, you know, what wasn't enough. So um, thankfully someone did a, a really nice article in the paper and it went national on me and the, my husband, David and the book. And then people, and I said, well, I had to offer something because I am a problem solver. You know, I don't, I don't sit too long in my pain. I have to do, I have to give, I have to create. That's a part of who I am as a person. That's my personality. And so I thought, well, you know what? I, uh, I should start an organization. So I said in to that reporter and at the bottom of the article, it said that I was going to start an organization. And if any wanted to, anyone wanted to join me, here's how to contact me. So about seven people did. We started the National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness, um, Pregnancy and Infant Loss Center. And then over the 10 Located years- Located in, in Arizona? In Minneapolis, sorry. Minneapolis. Yeah, from Minnesota at the okay. time, right. Um, I've moved to Arizona because I don't like winter and I don't have to have it here. Okay. And my mother-in-law was here. It was great to be okay. spend time with her. So- um, so in Minnesota, we started this organization. Now there was a, a beautiful organization called SHARE out of um, St. Louis, Sister Jane Marie Lamb. That was another organization at the time. And I was able to be in touch with her. And so we tried to complement what we were doing. It was wonderful. And I was helping them and they were helping us. But, but anyway, so we created books and booklets, um, many of which I wrote and um, others helped with. And 
we would help people one-on-one -on -one, and we tried to start a paradigm of meeting people one-on-one -on -one in the hospital to help them do it well so they don't have the regrets. Because if you don't catch them early, then what we're doing is we're putting out fires. Right. You know, We're saying, I'm sorry that you didn't get to spend more time than five minutes with your baby. That you know could have been different. And you know what? It has taken over 30 years to get that paradigm right. We're gonna talk about that later. I know that that's part of our plan. But at the time we couldn't get in, we couldn't get into hospitals. And I realized that actually hospitals are a bit too late for most situations. So during that time, my, my team and I, um, we did a lot of things to open up doors, create awareness. And finally, um, it came to us that we needed, we needed a proclamation from the president. And Reagan was the president at the time. So we put out the word, now keep in mind, this will age me, um, before the internet, uh, how do you reach people? So through these groups, there was a group Unite out of Philadelphia and Amend and, you know, there were just groups all over the country, little, little pockets. So we sent letters and we made phone calls. I actually thought I was going to need surgery there for a while because I was on the phone all the time trying to get people to join our cause. So we had everybody write with stories, tell your story, tell your story, tell what your organization is doing and send it into your legislators. And I believe it was Hmm, I forget now, I think it was 1987 that we were able to catch their attention. They passed a bill or they, you know, they, they put pressure on the president. And I think it was 87 when he created Pregnancy and Infant Loss Center, Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month in October. And then in 89, we actually had a big event in Washington, D.C. We had 500 baby quilts about this size with names and hearts and you know, all sorts of quilted and handwritten. And we carried them down the National Mall, laid them on the steps of the Capitol and had a memorial service, had a press conference, no press came, but we gathered together and we celebrated these babies and we met each other and we had the first walk to remember that was national. And so now it's happening all over the world in the country. And I chose October. I said, I, I'm gonna insert myself here. I, I normally like, let's let the team create and RTS and all kinds of people around, you know, organizations joined in and they took big parts of this. But I said, it has to be October because October was also SIDS Awareness Month. And SIDS had a good start and they had money behind them. For those them. who don't understand a sudden infant death syndrome. Thank you. And I knew that we were so much more similar than we were different. And I wanted us to work together. And I thought if we have a competing month, then we will be competing. So I insisted it be October. And indeed, it's true. We have worked with sudden infant death uh, organizations and individuals over the years. So that turned out to be a rather foresightful thing. That's a shame that no press showed up. Do they show up now? When Not, much. now? Not much. Not much. No, Very they don't nice. want to hear about it. Babies shouldn't die. Right. Wow. 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 So tell our listeners, why is a little baby a treasure deserving to be loved, mourned, and remembered as opposed to what they did in the dark ages? Mm. Paul Arion has a beautiful poem that I, I have partly memorized, but I don't have in front of me. But um, it, it really talks about that these are the dreams and the hopes and the plans and the future. When, some, when a baby dies, it's not just the death of that little body, whether it's a tiny miscarried baby or a full torn baby or a one year old baby who dies from SIDS or something unexpected, but really it's the future. It's the plans and the hopes and the dreams that we have. So people's future is gone as well as their baby is gone. And the last line that he writes is something I quote all the time. Life can be the same after a trinket has been lost, but never after the loss of a treasure. And so these babies are indeed not trinkets. It is not a medical event. This is a life that was planned and a future that was envisioned, and all of that is gone. Another baby will never replace. Sure, we can hope to have, and most of us do have lots of love and joy in our hearts when we have another baby, but it's a reminder of the babies who didn't make it. They still have a place. When Brennan was born, he wasn't our firstborn. We'd had a miscarriage, named that baby later Marama. When uh, our son Kellen was born, 
and he lived. He wasn't our firstborn. He was our first liveborn. But those other two babies have a place in our family. And so they are not a medical event. It's not minor for most people. Now, I will reserve the, the right if there are people who are listening or people that you know who say, yeah, but that miscarriage wasn't a baby to me. That's their choice. That's their right. I do not push that upon anyone. I always, I help a lot of people every day. I'm helping people, it seems. And I say, is this a love baby to you? And if not, that's okay, but just let me know so I know how to support you. And invariably, like 99%, they're like, that's, it's a live baby. It's a love baby, maybe not alive. But we must reserve room in our hearts that first, we don't want to push this upon someone who feels that it, they weren't invested yet. They weren't bonded yet. To them, it was just a pregnancy loss. Okay. That's all right. Fine. It's different strokes for different folks, you know, uh, however you process that. So please coach us about what to say and what not to say to families who have lost a baby. Okay. And so that let's must be a minefield. That must yeah. be a minefield for people. We could do a whole session on just that. I have a little booklet on it. We could write a large book on it. Yeah, there's, there's a lot there. But let's start from that point of what is a baby. And so if someone is unsure, like let's say there wasn't yet, it's, it's little, young, early, tiny, they haven't hardly told people, um, and you're not certain. I mean, if they've had a baby shower, if they had an announcement, if they told you they're expecting a baby, they're not expecting a monkey, they're not expecting a fish, they're not just pregnant, they're expecting a baby. So then you can assume this is a love baby. But if they're little and you don't know where they're at, just ask them. Was this a baby to you? Or are you still seeing it as a pregnancy? Help me to know how to help you. So once they say this is a love baby, then um, just imagine, you know, what, um, I, I had a little glitch there, sorry. Just imagine if that child is two, if that child is 10, if that child is 20. If they died, would we never say their name? Would we never talk about shared experiences? Would we pretend that you're not a parent? Oh my gosh, you know, sorry that your 20 year old died, but now you don't have any children, so you're not a parent anymore. Wrong. You're a parent, whether your child is alive on this earth or is just in your spirit or in heaven or in your heart or whatever, however you define that. So, no matter the size or the length of the body, if this is a baby, then this is a child and there is a future that is planned. So, what are some of the things to say? I'm really sad to hear about the loss of your baby. Would you like to tell me about what happened? Whether now or later, I really want, I really want to hear. And then just close mouth, listen, and you know, show you care. You don't have to fill every silence with words. Um, if they name that, did you name the baby? Well, yes, I did. Would it be all right then if I call your baby by name? So from now on, call baby by name. Um, oh, we didn't name the baby. Well, do you have some sort of a nickname? Strawberry, blueberry, sky, you know, angel. There's all sorts. One mama said, no, I'm not going to name the baby. We're going to call the baby baby love. And I go, well, there you go. We'll call the baby baby love. That's kind of a nickname. So asking if, if you can speak about that baby. Well, do you want to tell me about your dreams and about your hopes? What kind of memories do you have? Do you have any regrets that you feel like talking about? Um, how will you tell people at work when you go back? You know, it might be a good idea to write them a note and tell them what you're thinking and what happened and what you want them to do or not do. That you might want your baby's picture on the desk or, you know, you, the due date is coming up and you might have to take time off or how hard this is for you. Because here's the big question I ask everyone. Who in your family are mind readers? Who knows what you need and what you want and what will help and what will hurt? And the only way to find out is to have the conversation. So assume that no one is a mind reader. And even though it's hard to be the one to empower and teach, we kind of have to, because only I know what I needed. And only you, Irene, knew what you needed. And even if this mama and couple, whatever, don't know what they need, they might know what they don't need. And so tell us what you don't need and what you need. You know, and- um, That's wonderful so advice, and that, that applies in other situations too. Yeah, it, it really does. But what not to say are things that demean. So mm -hmm. what I've been talking about are things that affirm, things that show love, things that recognize this is a real important person. The opposite would be, well, it was just, it was just a, you know, you were only 12 weeks. Um, your baby didn't take a breath. So it's not like you have all these memories yeah. that are going to haunt you. Well, actually, memories help you. 
maybe not at the time, you don't realize how much, but later on it is the memories that we cling to and that we cherish over time. And so minimizing it is not a good idea. Avoiding it is not a good idea. Saying nothing is not a good idea or giving advice to get over it. Mm -hmm. We never get over it. None of us do. We get through it. And the way that we get through it and find some peace and find some calm and hopefully find some love and have our, 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 our I mean, hopefully find some joy, but have our love recognized is by facing it straight on most of us, you know, maybe not everybody, but most of us, that is helpful. So don't say things like, well, you have two others, really? So this third one um, doesn't matter. Right. That would be, you know, or like, why don't you just have another? That would be like saying to you, Irene, when your husband died, you know, I'm really sorry that he died, but but you should start looking for a new husband. Oh, by the way, people said that to me. It's not helpful. They said that to me. And like, no, I mean, and even, and even I know a lot of people who remarry, that doesn't mean that that person that they loved who is no longer on the side of the veil is still not in their heart. And and we each need to be ready to move to that place. And a part of getting ready for most of us is to do good grief work, is to love them and miss them and try to, you know, uh, let our feelings come out of, you know, from our heads and our heart. And so that we can work towards, if that's our next place, to, you know, to find another love, to have another child, but to think that anyone can replace a partner a baby, a 10-year-old, um, be it the other living children or had getting another boyfriend, to think that that's going to immediately make it better is, is not good thinking. That's not helpful. No. That's really harmful. So don't demean, don't try to give advice to bring them to a place of joy and, you know, and happiness. Let them be the one to lead the path. Um, I know when my husband came home and he'd say, you know, do you think we could go out tonight? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just not ready for that. After six months, he says, you know, it's really getting hard hanging out at home all the time. And I just can't be focusing on this all the time. Could we please? And so that little prodding helped me to move, but uh, it had to be kind of a shared experience. And I had to take a bit of a lead because I was the, you know, I, I was a major griever, not that my husband wasn't, but I'm thinking about others in our family you know, they could not be the lead, but they could offer options. You know, are you feeling ready that we could have a gathering? Um, Would you like to go out to dinner? We could find a quiet spot. You know, no, I'm not ready yet. Yep, maybe that sounds like a good idea, but it's not, you hear how it's not pushy? It's inviting, it's encouraging. Wow, that's great. So we were talking about that paradigm. What is the best paradigm to help families reduce regrets and maximize memories, which then give comfort and reduce trauma over time. I am living that paradigm right now, finally, after about almost 40 years. And it is absolutely amazing, the best. But you know what the key is? The key is that we interact with someone soon after hearing the news, ideally before they even birth that baby, be it a miscarriage, be it a stillbirth, be it a baby that's, you know, a fragile baby and they have to figure out if they're gonna continue or end that pregnancy. And so what's happening in Tucson is an amazing paradigm. And I love for us to soon start growing it out to the rest of the world. I have a relationship with a doctor and we created something called the Embrace Circle. That's not necessary, but that is the umbrella that we're using in, um, so there are six clinics, there are Genesis clinics in Tucson And when they tell someone bad news, they invite them to be called by me or one of my team in order to be helped at the time and over time. So for instance, just today, I spoke with someone and I was able to, it was her second miscarriage. And, and I, I, you know, I could, and it literally was within three hours of her getting the news. And I could say that I'm sorry and I'm sad and my, Our goal here is to help you feel tenderly loved and cared for during this experience because we don't need to add trauma and more pain on top of the pain and trauma you already have. And I said, I understand you have a sec, you know, you've already had a miscarriage. This is your second. Maybe you can tell me how you did that one and what you're thinking now. 
And so as we started talking, I'm telling her, you know, you could name this baby. Do you have names? She said, we do have names. I said, cool. One of the positives about a name is that makes it less medical, more real as a baby to your family and friends. You don't have to. I plant seeds. I do not tell you what to do. I don't judge. I'm just here. My team is here to offer ideas and to tell you some of the medium and longer term potential consequences because people are living in the short term. You know, I want to get this over with, get this out, be done, go back home tomorrow. Right. Right. Well, but there's a lot of regrets that can occur. And so I was able to help her think about uh, creating a bracelet for her, the grandparents, for her, for um, to go with the baby if she decides to cremate the baby. After a DNC, you can still take the remains and have that baby cremated or buried. We have a little sweet love sack. It's made out of material that we can put the container in. And she got one of those. And I said, take that with you to the hospital if you're going to do a DNC. And, you know, have baby put in there and and then you could cremate or bury or whatever, just buys you time to think about it. And so you could take river stones and you could have your family write messages to the baby. You could put those, have a little ceremony after when you get home and put those around your favorite cactus or a tree that you plant in memory of the baby, or if you bury the baby somewhere, or if you scatter the cremains, you know? And she's like, oh my gosh, these are really great ideas. I hadn't thought about that before. This is so very different than the first loss. And I can already tell I'm feeling better. It gives people more control an awareness. They can make intentional decisions. They can understand the importance of creating memories. They can realize this is a birth. It's not a medical event. Even if it's a DNC, it's still a birth, just like a cesarean is. And they can have some breadth of of mind and heart of how to meet a baby well before you say goodbye and how to do it intentionally and i often will say now when you have other children someday they're going to ask what happened do you want to be proud of what you did think about what you did and and what you can do so that you can have a story your child this child can have a story and so this paradigm sets them on a path to take power, to take a some control in an uncontrollable situation, to think with head and heart, to hear other people's stories, I always tell stories, and then to realize that they have options and choices that matter not just for the now, but for the later. And then we offer a family room where we have books and booklets and we give them gifts. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing you do. Absolutely. And then we have a support group. And oh, so wow. then we hook them up with each other. So we, we just help people from very early on. It's wow. the best time I've ever heard of. That's terrific. I really, I really hope you will spread that. Right. Me too. Um, You're well, when you do come back on and tell everybody about it, please okay. tell us about the importance of helping couples communicate and support each other at the time of loss and over time. Oh, good question. That must, be, that must be quite a thing with the with the husband uh, and all that too. The partners, right. I, so uh, my friend Tim Nelson and I are not partners. We're good friends. So we brought in our couple relationships and we wrote this book called Couple Communication After a Baby Dies, Differing Perspectives. Now we won't differ on everything, but you partners, uh, we often pick people who are not the same, but who are our opposites or who will balance us out, right? And so... Um, we talk a lot in there about uh, the differences and how to have communication about it, that often women speak, what is the average, 20,000 words a day. Often men speak 7,000 words a day. So it, when partner comes home, if they're in that realm of, it can flip, by the way, but if they're one of the people- Wait, wait, um, when does it flip? It, it, it's a personality thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that it, once it started, it works. You, you, you know, a lot of women I've met, there's some that they're the ones that don't speak much and their and their partner speaks more. And so that's what I mean about, yeah, I yeah. can't generalize always and say right, this is right, true right. and are true for women um, or for partners, you know, but, but in any case, if your partner doesn't speak much and they come home at night, and you ask them how they are and what they're thinking and what do they want to do about the babe, you know, the, the ceremony we're going to plan. And they don't say much. It doesn't mean they don't love the baby. It doesn't mean they're not involved. It doesn't mean they don't care. It's, it's, is that their personality? And so just knowing that there's a difference in personality and style, but the importance is that we talk with each other and that we find ways to communicate and we respect that there are going to be some differences and we try to help each other get those differences met. Um, that we give, we give fathers and partners, because sometimes we have same-sex partners here, right? We give them words. So like 
when they go back to work and people say, well, how's, how's mama? You know, how's she doing? That it's okay to say, you know, physically she's doing better. Emotionally, we're both a wreck. Boom, right there. It says we're in this together. Don't just be focusing on her. So um, in the back of the book, we actually have some really beautiful questions to prompt communication. And it can be used in support groups, but also a couple then could say, well, how did you perceive your partner acting? Um, what did you learn when you were a child about how to handle emotions and pain and crises? Um, you know, uh, is it okay for boys to do this, to cry or to nod? Is it okay for girls to do this? You know, so it really like where we come from and what our personality is and what our parents have taught us influences the way we handle things, whether we do the opposite or we do it the same. And so I have seen far too many couples um, split either temporarily or permanently, and it wouldn't have had to happen. I met someone once who helped me in my, with my yard, my flower bed. And he said, you know, I know who you are. I, I didn't know him. I read your book and he said, I read it too late. We, my wife and I split up. I, I would say to her, well, let's do this. Well, let's move on. Well, you know, well, let's not dwell on it. You know, let's not talk about it that much. And he said, when I read your book, I realized I did the opposite. And if I would have said, oh, honey, tell me about it and not try to fix it all the time, maybe we wouldn't have split. And so he said, keep up the good work. So let's encourage people to, um, to talk, to respect differences, and to not expect the person to do it exactly your way. That's, that applies to a lot of situations for sure, too. It does. Cherokee, what is a lost doula? Please share how you train baby lost family advisors and lost doulas to give one-on-one -on -one care at the time of loss and over time. And please also tell us about the baby lost doulas certification program. Maybe we have a few baby lost doulas in our listening audience. Or parents, maybe or we parents. do parents or grandparents who mm -hmm. feel like they have some health about their life now. They've lived through it and they now want to help others. That's a, a big group of our people too. All right. So when I mentioned to you the Embrace Circle, the people that I use to help one-on-one -on -one with these families at the time and then often checking back and over time are baby loss advisors who are not doulas. They're not doing doula work. So therefore, we're not going to confuse them and others and call them lost doulas. So these are people, grandparents, parents, clergy, you know, funeral directors, uh, therapists, they're not doulas. So they are advisors. The same training, though, is for baby loss doulas. So those who are doulas can add this expertise, this certification of how to do loss, which is an additional piece, and it is different. For instance, a doula is taught not to be their spokesperson, not to tell the nurse what it is that mama wants, to empower the mama to tell the nurse what she wants. However, when your baby just died in labor, and uh, if you're lucky enough to have somebody nearby who can come in and be this, this do this loss work, or your doula can do this loss work, um, this is not the time when most people are able to speak their will, their wishes. They're in such shock and such pain. And so there's a difference. We teach in my three-day training that I'll tell you about in a moment, we teach how to um, empower the parents to be independent as much as possible, but to recognize that you may need to be their spokesperson, their advocate. You may need to take the nurse outside and say, here's what's going on. You know, this and this has happened and she's just in a basket case crying place. But I know we, you know, we had some conversations earlier and this is what she wants. And so can you help us help her? Um, that's a different kind of a role. So what we do is we, I have trained, oh my, I don't know, maybe 150 people so far um, in person, two day in person. Um, day one is online usually. Um, and it's, it's our one day training um, where they watch it, they comment on it, they sit with it, they bring it to the table when they come for the two-day in-person. It's been hard with COVID. I'm still, I'm still working on in-person because that's where the conversation, the body language, the hugs, the tears are shared most um, you know, transparently. And that's how we really, I find we grow the best when we're in the same room. I was in Pittsburgh recently. We had 22 people there. It was the most 
amazing training. My um, colleague and friend who's training to be a trainer for our baby loss advisors and loss doulas, Heather Bradley, um, brought in all these folks and she just models such amazing, great work with these families and, and for these um, providers. So we do, um, we have we have expectations of reading. They have to read my book, Empty Arms, which was that first book that I wrote when mm -hmm. after Brenna died um, and helps people to make good decisions. They have to read Companioning After a, a Perinatal Loss, which is a beautiful book about how to be a good companion uh, by Eustace and Jenkins. And then they have to watch some videos and now we come together, we have conversations, it's all practical stuff. I'm not, I don't spend much time in theory, they can get that other places. RTS is great training for, and they do a lot of theory, but we do a, most all practical. So we, you know, we have real life experiences, um, people in the audience, and, you know, the students, they, many of them have had losses themselves. And then they are expected to read, hold on to your hat, 30, a little over 30 booklets and, and pamphlets. Wow. Wow. That, um, you know, about grief and death in general, about mother care, about sibling grief. Some of them are only 12 pages about planning a precious, precious goodbye, about father's grief. I think that one's maybe uh, it's small and it's maybe 20 pages. Oh, so they're not like a big one. That's probably a popular book. Yeah, it is. And and then they have to do some mentoring. And um, and yeah, it's it's. It's a really comprehensive training and we can never fit everything in, but they have people, they have Heather and myself and others who they can, you know, we can mentor through it. So yeah, it's exciting. And um, it really makes a difference because here's my philosophy. You can take some of these trainings online, read a couple of books and say, good, done there. And I'm, I'm done, I'm ready. But I've met a lot of those folks and they say, but I don't feel ready. Well, no, because you haven't walked it, talked it, shared it, hugged through it, you know, and, and so what we do is we build confidence, we build competence, and then we support them all the way through it. And so I feel like these families don't deserve mediocre care. They deserve the best care. They get no do-overs. If we don't do it right in the beginning, you can't undo it. You, if you forgot to invite your sister in to meet your baby and now the baby's cremated and buried too late, Nothing you can do about that. You know, if you didn't sing happy birthday to them in the hospital room when they were born and have a movie taken like uh, Mitch and Susie did and a birthday cake that we brought in or cupcakes and a candle that couldn't be lit because it's a hospital, but there was a candle, you know, and the balloon behind that says, congratulations, it's a boy. You know, if you don't get to do those things, then you don't ever get to do those things. So we don't do mediocre. We do as high of a level of, of training and teaching and empowering as we can. Wow. And speaking of all these books that you have them read, uh, tell us, uh, you've told us about a few of your books. Are there other books you'd like to tell everyone else about? Is there anything else you want to bring to people's attentions? Well, when we list the website for them, they'll see all kinds of things. But I have the Empty Arms one I have in Spanish, as mm -hmm. I mentioned. Um, and then Miscarriage, a Shattered Dream, I co-author with Linda Hammer Burns. And that's a beautiful one just for, you know, those early losses. Um, one that I, I wish this mama would have had that I spoke with two days ago is called Precious Lives, Painful Choices. So when we talk about fragile pregnancies, this is to help make decisions, mm -hmm. to help know that this, they're between a rock and a rock. The one that follows the prenatal bombshell is an amazing 300 some page book. They often get it from the library, how to live through the decision that they made you know, so right away after they make the decision, that's the next book to start. But one that I was mentioning to you early, and sorry, I use it in a lot of my trainings. No, but so I think it's wonderful. So people should see this. It's, it's all marked. It's, it's called hooked. Remembering with Love, Messages of Hope for the First Year of Grieving and Beyond. And basically, uh, my, my co-author and I, we found people to give us bits of advice at the top. Uh -huh. And then we write a little bit about like, what page did I turn to? Um, learning to accept support. Nothing is impossible to a willing heart. And sometimes people don't want to accept support. They think they should have to do it on their own. Right. You know, I'm not going to call and ask. I'm not going to, when they say, what can I do? You say, I'm fine. But maybe they need to, you know, read this and think about this. And so at the bottom, then it says, I am willing to let others in my life. I will accept their understanding and support. So each page has an affirmation on it as well as someone's little story in there. So it's any kind of death. And it's one of my favorite books, not because I co-wrote it, but because most people in the middle of their 
early grief can't read a whole book. You know, no. they could read a page, they could read right. two pages, you know. And so for that, I am grateful to Liz Levang, who um, it was her idea to do one like this. And uh, I, I think that, you know, chewable, chewable topics and, and pieces are better than a whole book for, for many, not all. I, I, I could absolutely understand that. And then you also support parents who are experiencing fragile pregnancies and abnormal diagnosis by offering palliative care and networking assistance. What's that like? All right, so uh, let's say that our clinic call, uh, emails me and says, we just gave so, someone bad news that their baby has a, a life altering or life limiting, you know, trisomy, whatever. And, um, you know, so can you call them? So I try to call them as soon as possible so that they understand that the decision-making is important. And, and, you know, we don't, it's not our place to judge. It's really their place to make the best decision. But there's a lot of pressure in our society to just get it over with, to just terminate the pregnancy. And what they don't realize is that there's plenty of people who have continued pregnancies, let nature God take its course, who got to meet their baby, who got to hold their baby, who got to say hello before they had to go say goodbye. Both of those situations are a rock and a rock. There's downsides to both. There's upsides to both. And so to be uh, sent down a path by a, a parent, you know, the grandparent or a friend or a clergy or a doctor or, a, you know, a midwife is not, that's not, it shouldn't be that way. It should be their own decision where they measure out. Well, you know, what I say is um, neither of these is going to be easy. Neither of these is the panacea. But if you could think of the one, like let's talk through the pros and the cons, um, meeting your baby versus let's say having a DNA where I'm going to say something that's really a bit rough here. And I say it out of love, but where they get pieces of a baby, they don't get a whole baby. You know, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat. I don't protect people. I empower them and I say it lovingly. But, you know, the difference here, does one of those feel different to you? Does one of those feel less hurtful at a minimum, less difficult to deal with? Because they both have their, their toughness about them. And so if, um, you know, if they say, well, well I, I'm going to end the pregnancy, but I don't want a DNC. Well, then you need to talk to somebody about having a procedure, you know, and giving medication so that you can actually birth your baby to say hello and goodbye to your baby rather than a DNA. I mean, so we talk through it all that you can cremate and bury. You can create my memories, memories of both. These are love babies. They're not trash. They're not something that, you know, we're just trying to get rid of and, and, and get the people love these babies. So let's treat them like love babies and let's not pretend that it's an easy thing to do. So the palliative care, like I have been on the phone with a mama and her team, her doctor, the clergy, um, someone from labor and delivery. I forget who all else was on there. And we were on the phone and as a part of palliative care, I was her advocate to help her get what she needed to do. They wanted their children during the end of COVID, or end is maybe not the right word, but as it was lessening, they wanted their children to see the baby. Is there a place in the hospital, I say, where they could go? No, not really. Well, then, the only thing that we can do is have this baby go home with them. So this mama wanted her baby to come home, and they're like, no, that can't happen. I said, May I respectfully say that the law in most states, all states except for nine in this country, allow the a loved one who's died to go home, and uh, the nine uh, require a funeral director to be involved. So they still can bring them home if they can find a funeral director who will help. But a person can do it even with or without a funeral director in all these states. And so they're like, really? And I said, yes, it's this law. I gave it to them. And they went and said, I'd be happy to work with you. Um, I'm, you know, I, this is important to her. Her children need to meet their brother. And so let's work together to make that happen. That's what you call palliative care. Wow, that's amazing. That's so admirable. And tell me the difference between a grief counselor and a grief mentor. As a grief mentor, how do you, and as a grief mentor, how do you help families move from the breath and depth of despair and anguish? When one's child dies or is never born to growth and healing, that's a monolithic task. 
It's a monolithic task. Um, so I have a sociology psychology de degree. I am not a certified counselor and I'm very clear about that to people. But I do often have people say, well, can I get one-on-one -on -one counseling from you? Or I can't find a counselor who understands. I think we have more and more counselors out there who might understand, but let me just say to each of you who are thinking of getting some support, interview them ahead of time. Because if you've already suffered pain and loss, and you feel like you've been let down, maybe by um, a medical provider or by a family member, or you know because you, you you didn't know what to do and you might have you believe you could have saved your baby's life, whatever, whatever your situation is, we don't need more of that trauma on top. So interview counselors and ask them what they know, what their experience is, what their philosophy is about the value of a baby and how to help people, and maybe tell a story or two of how they've helped people and get a feeling. Does it feel right? for me. Um, but so many people who contact me say that they couldn't find that person. And I finally decided about five years ago that I would do some one-on-one -on -one with people because I have tons of experience. I've literally spoken with thousands right. of families. I'm in support groups all the time. We run a support group. I, it's not like I know everything, but I know lots. And why not share it? So I said to them, I will, I'll call, I'm calling myself a grief mentor. I can help you with your grief. I don't promise to be a counselor. Um, I don't get reimbursed as a counselor. If you wish to make a donation to me, this is the range of donations people give to me, but it's totally up to you. And so what I do on those calls is to listen. I usually try to get their partner on by the second call, if not the first, because often it's what's going on between them that is or isn't working, right? And, um, and so, you know, I, like one dad is, you know, he was uh, um, in the uh, firefighter police realm of things. So he's a leader. He's a strong one. He's not an emotional one, right? And so I was able to say to him, but if you don't share your heart with her and your sadness sometimes, then she thinks you don't care. And truly, you have it. I, if you've already told me you do, you have it within you. It's okay to let it out. And in fact, if you don't let it out, it's going to pile up. You're not the leader of the police department anymore, you know, or the fire department or wherever it was that he worked. You are a, a co, you know, a partner here of a, you're, you're a parent whose child has died. And so for you to share with her so she can help you once in a while, her to share with you so she, you can be of help, that give and take is what's going to help your partner grow, you know, your relationship grow. And so one time they, uh, they, or another couple, I guess I'll say, were in a support group, it was kind of similar things happened. And I heard, she said, Oh, my gosh, it was so amazing. He said, so instead of trying to fix me all the time, which is what was happening before, he said to me, I, I can't fix this for you, but I can love you through it. And those are the wow. very kind of we And so there, wow, we got it found. You can love her through it. Did that totally change the relationship? No, but it shifted things. And so we do it step by step, you know, and it's all about love. It's about wow, recognizing their love and sharing love. Wow. So now you have half and all day trainings across the world on baby loss and grief. When do you sleep, Sherpa Kate? It did allow a lot more sleep time, you know. Um, I was traveling to Australia and to the UK and to Canada, and I had to cancel a lot of those things. But um, yeah, I am a driven woman, and I, I get a lot of, I know you're going to ask later about joy, but one of the pieces with my work is, as much as this is hard, it's beautiful. It's amazing. And so um, I love doing these trainings, and I do get joy and love um, back, you know, when I can empower and teach staff, hospital staff, clinic staff, by the way, clinic is the place, not the hospital, the only place. The clinic staff are the key here because they're the news givers. So we can get people ready for that hospital. So when I teach people like that, and I tell people about the stories that I've been telling during our conversation, and I help them to understand that this is about love. This is a love story. It's not a death story. This is a story that has death in it, but it's really a love story. And so as a care provider, you know, I'll do, I don't like half day 
day as much as I like whole day. I'd rather be there and do whole day um, or two day because we can really dig in and talk about their concerns and their issues and their needs and where they're coming from, as well as how to help create memories and minimize regrets and the kind of stories what? about couples and families and oh my gosh. Do people so reach I, out to you? Do people reach out for you, to you for these or they're scheduled in advance? And yeah, I'm not a very time? good marketer, Irene. I, I kind of wait for people to come to yeah, me. They come to you. And how about giving us a couple of your inspiring stories? Um, one about helping a baby, a family process baby loss. And then I know you've got a story about an intervention with a woman named Heather. Okay, now I'll start with Heather. Heather um, found me online and asked if I would be her, her lost doula. And that was before we had created lost doulas. I'm like, whoa, that's an interesting idea. She had a doula coming, but she said, this is my fourth miscarriage. She had five living children. This was her fourth, I believe, miscarriage. And she said, I've not done them very well. And I want a few things. I said, tell me what you want, Heather. She said, I want my husband to be in the room when I have the DNC because she had issues of, you know, what had happened before. And I want to walk out the door with my baby. I do not want testing. I want to walk out the door. And I said, okay, what happens? We live in the same community. And so I said, I'll help you. Let's write a birth plan because that's one of the things our baby loss advisors do, I didn't mention that, is that when we have time, even if it's just two hours before they're gonna be induced, we write a birth plan. And we, we, you know, what is it that you hope and dream and what were you gonna do if the baby had lived? You know, and so I wrote those into her birth wow. plan. Wow, wow, it must be hard for them to write sometimes to answer. Yeah. I oh, type it in, yep, yeah, we talk it through, I tell stories, I send it to them, they look it over, they tweak it, they fix it, then they hand it to their, their staff. So I said, Heather, you need to call your doctor and make sure that it's okay that you, you know, these things that you want. Um, if she couldn't have been able to, then I would have said, is there someone in your family who can't? Our job is not to take it over for them. Our job is to, uh, you know, be their advocate and help them do it. If, however, she couldn't do it and her family and friends couldn't do it, then I would have been the backup plan. Right. So like her doctor was fine with it. Anyway, long story the pathologist was not going to let her called me in on the carpet. And when I walked in that day and she said, no, we cannot do that. She cannot walk out the door. Three hours of negotiating would not allow it to happen. So finally at the end, Heather's doctor's like, we missed the window. And I said, Heather, I think you'll be better off at a different hospital. So she left. I called my people. We got a different hospital. She had no trouble. My, my colleague, who um, was the bereavement loss person in the hospital, sat in with her went, and so protected her during the time of her DNC. I came, the doula was there. We, we created this opportunity for her to hold her baby in a yeah. little cradle. We took a ton of pictures. We had sweet mementos. And she said, this was the best miscarriage I ever had. I have no regrets except for that first one was bad, but luckily we got to end it with a good one. A funeral director came and had to hand her back the baby, but in the, you know, the DNC, and then her kids were there when they buried this little baby. Uh -huh. She named him Journey Peace. And it was a lovely experience. And she said the best, so best one she ever had. So then she did a blog about it. And um, I, you know, I send people there to look at that blog all the time because it's beautiful. So when you go on Cherokee's uh, website, everyone, you should take a look at that blog. Uh, with Heather. And, uh, uh, and then let me tell you another quick story. Go ahead. And this one's a faster one. Um, it's one of our, our clients um, in Tucson, who I didn't find out about until she was already in the hospital and had already birthed her baby. And so I, I call her and, you know, say how sad I am and that I represent the, you know, the, the, the clinic and the embrace circle um, that I've had my own losses because that helps to open up a door. You don't have to have that, but it does help open a door. And I said, so ha tell me what's happened and have you held your baby enough? And where is your baby now? And I'll, I'll just give her the name of, um, of Francine. Um, and so Francine said, uh, the baby's out with the nurses and I don't know if I've held my baby enough. 
um, but I'm going to be leaving in a few hours. And I said, well, let me tell you about the kinds of things that people do when they have their baby with them. They watch a movie, they take a nap, they, um, you know, make something for them. They make that those little stones I was telling you about. They cuddle in, they take a lot of pictures, they get some movies, they bring their family in. I said, you know, might you have missed some of those ideas? Might you leave that hospital and say, but I didn't hold her enough? Might you wish that you had done things differently? I said, you know, I plant seeds and it may feel like a bit of gentle pressure, but people tell me they, they're glad that I gently am persuasive. Um, but I won't judge you if you don't ever see that your baby right, again. Right. But let me just say that a lot of people walk out with regrets and our goal is to help you have none or very few. You have the right to hold your baby again. You have the right to spend some more time. And this is all the time you get with them on earth. Are you sure that you're really done? Well, she um, said, thank you for all of that. And she asked that I'm going to ask to have the baby back about three days later, and really, we don't usually hear from these families unless they've got this kind of help. We don't hear from them for months, but she called about three days later, I've kept the message. And she said, Cherokee, you made such a huge difference in my life. That's what our baby loss advisors do. It's not just about me, our baby loss doulas. Uh, she said, I never would have I've helped my baby again. And I realized that I had missed a lot. And so I just wanna thank you from the bottom of my heart for um, teaching me that I, I should spend more time with my baby. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay, so now you need to tell us what is the I am a bereaved parent card? Oh, yeah. So friend um, makes these cards and uh, it, to give to the clinic when they walk in the door. And it basically says, bereaved parent, I'm here for my follow-up appointments. I mean, there might be other I am bereaved, um, a bereaved parent out there, but I love this one because let me read to you the back. Um, please take me to an exam room right away. It's hard to sit in a clinic with other mothers with their living babies. I don't want to complete a postpartum depression scale because it can feel like when you grieve that you're sick, that you're ill, that you're depressed. Grief is normal. And so sometimes these postpartum depression scales can really cause docs to say, well, you need to be on medication when they're really just grieving appropriately. Ask me about my baby and call him or her by name. Speak to me honestly, openly, and kindly. I need your support. Listen to my concerns and ask how you might help. I am and forever will be a parent of this baby. So this really, except for the first two, really could be for anyone that you could hand to them. And, and basically it's saying, treat me like mother, treat me like father. I, I'm a parent. I happen to have had a child die and they were little but I'm, I'm changed now and I'll always be their parent. It's kind of the ultimate sensitivity training <laughs> in a way. Um, and how about telling us about the find an advisor page on your website? How does that help both grieving families and those who are ready to give back? Okay, so if they go to um, www.babylossfamilyadvisors.com or org, um, there's, there's a couple of pages that people might like. One is, um, it says locate an advisor, and it just lists the different countries and starts off with states, goes down to countries where our team is um, available to, you know, maybe even be in person if you're, if you're lucky. Um, but many of us will do it anywhere, anytime. So you have so a you huge can... team now spread out throughout the world. Yeah. Yeah, That's what an accomplishment, Cherokee. Yeah, we, we do. And we're always trying to expand that. So they can call, it. some of us just say, it doesn't matter where you are, who you are, when you know, when it is, just call us or email us or whatever. But that, that would then help them to connect with someone. So if you know somebody, those who are watching, if you know somebody who just got bad news, especially, get them in touch with us. But here's the thing. If you say to them, go to this page, find this name, call this person, most people won't do it. In the almost 40 years I've been doing this work, I can count on probably two hands total, the people who reached out to me. We have to reach out to them. Mm -hmm. So the best way is to say, there are people who can help you right now to minimize regrets, to maximize memory, to help you make the best decision so you don't regret it later. And they need to be uh, in touch with you immediately. Trust me when I say, they're kind, they're gentle, they're compassionate, they will help you. But I would like your permission. May I call them so that they can contact you. That's the way it works. Wow. The best. And also on that page is a memory making page. So for those who've had a baby die 
and they're looking for ideas for memory making or for families, you might want to help your your loved ones whose baby has died. Um, go to that page and you'll get a bunch of ideas and it might spur some new ideas on. And if you get a new idea, email me because I'll add it to the page. They're all part of your team now. That's right. And what is your message about the importance of healing to share with our grief and rebirth podcast audience? Um, my message about healing. Yeah, there's so many, aren't there? Um, one of them that I have is trust your instincts. Know that when you love deeply and you grieve deeply and, and that if you do it well, that that's, that's the best way. Um, you know, that if you, uh, it makes perfect sense if it comes from you, you know, so trust your instincts. And that it, I said it earlier, isn't the size of the body or the length you've known someone that determines your need for support and your need to grieve. It's how much you love them. And if you love them, then you love them. And that's not measured. It's just right. real. And then something that you and I talked about before we opened up this podcast is, I believe, as I think you do too, that people have choices. You know, we don't have a choice that when our baby died, or our loved one died. We, we can't control and fix that. But once we get a little bit of mojo back, once we, you know, get off the floor, I call it the Grand Canyon in the middle of a horrible storm, and we're, we're able to even be on our knees again, we have choices. And our choice to to stay a victim is real. To stay in the bottom of that Grand Canyon, to stay in the puddle of our pain, that is a choice. I didn't choose that because I didn't find that helpful. I didn't find that I could breathe hardly. I didn't know if I would live. I wanted to die. I wanted to go to sleep for a year and wake up and, you know, but it just didn't. I did nothing fixed. It didn't get any better until I started to do something. And so what I've real to help others, what I've realized is that we have a choice to do, to be, to work it, to grow, to grieve, to mourn well, to seek support, to give to others when we're ready. We have a choice and, and, and no one can do that for you. You have to be at that place where you're willing to make that choice. But before you make the choice, you have to understand, I think, you have a choice. And so a lot of people don't realize they have a choice about yeah. myriad things. It's true. Yeah. Now, everyone listening to us wants to connect with you. So how do they do that? How do you uh, give, them, give them your website, however you would like them to contact okay. you? All right, let me give you my email address. It's my whole name. Is it in writing somewhere that they can see? It'll it? be written, but I can I can say it's S-H-E-R-O-K-E-E-I-S-L-E. No? I-L-S-E. I-L-S-E. I should say it again. S-H-E-R-O-K-E-E-I. L as in love, S as in son, E at yahoo.com. At yahoo.com. Right. And, and then um, I'll, I'll write you back an email and you'll see all three of my websites, uh, sherakeeisles.com. That's a website or babiesremembered.org babies plural remembered.org so yep I'm, I'm i put my phone number on my emails i mean i am contactable um because i'm i'm in it i'm in it with you and i will do whatever i can to help connect you or to help support you or to help you find people and resources and literature marvelous and of course when we release this recording there'll be uh cherokee's contact information will be there also and cherokee what is your tip for finding joy in life well, besides, besides doing this work, which I love, which just, just touches my heart so deeply, um, I first of all want to say we must find joy in our love, in our life. And so um, I love to make things for people. I like to make hearts with babies' names, and I sew and send it to people sometimes. I like to um, sew things for my grandkids. I um, love to read to escape. Um, and I love being in Arizona where I can be in the sun and go for walks and sit and swim. And so finding joy is something I try to do every single day. I even used to make little jars and I'd put beads on them that said joy and oh. I would send them, share them, sell them, whatever, and put, you know, little notes in there of what it is that blessings and gratitudes so that when I'm feeling down, I can pull out some of those things that bring joy and bring blessings. So seek blessings, seek joy, please, everybody. That's beautiful. Cherokee, your many years working closely with tens of thousands of families in roles such as peer support, parent advocate, compassionate 
navigator advisor, social media friend, and mentor has helped you to be an active voice for parents and families' needs, desires, and wishes. As a bereaved parent yourself, you speak in the first person about what families feel, how to speak to them, and specifically how to be helpful. What a tremendous blessing you are. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Oh, thank you. Thank you from my heart for this eye-opening, powerful, and surely very touching interview today. And here's a reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on IreneWeinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. As I like to say, to be continued, many blessings, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.